Welcome to another episode of Consider This. This is actually the first of at least a two-part, maybe a three-part series on um, orphan care, adoption, foster, and all things related to that. Um, our primary focus for this particular episode is going to be on um, caring for the parentless or the orphans in the church. And um, I have with me three people that are, um, are very interested in that um, for uh, numerous reasons. And to my left, I'm going to introduce them one by one. Normally I can fly through this. You guys are used to a lot of us, but I'm going to introduce them one by one. So to my left, Ashley Smith, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, I'm Ashley. I'm currently a resident here at Sunnybrook, and I have four kids. I have two that are biological and two that are adopted. Um, I have Grace from Rwanda and Deacon from Uganda. Okay. Um, what's your favorite pizza topping? I would say either black olives, and I also like artichokes. Solid choices. Solid mm-hmm. choices. To my right, I have Randy Butler. I had to say that. That's not normally what I call her, but Randy Butler. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, guys. Um, so, again, Randy Butler. I have a wonderful husband and three kids, three boys, uh, one foster son, uh, one adopted son, and one bio son. So we have quite a variety at our house. Good mix. times. Yes, we like a good mix at our house. And my favorite pizza topping, because you're going to ask that, I'm going to go with anything meat, but probably my favorite's bacon. Oh. I do like a good bacon. Very nice choice. <laughs> and to my far right... I have the great Amanda Butler. Tell us about yourself. Yes, I um, work at Sunnybrook in our family ministry. I'm their administrative support, but I also am married to Kyle Butler, who works here as well. And uh, we have one daughter who is adopted, and she is Jolie and Spunky and one years old. (laughs) And so that pretty much embodies our entire world right there. (laughs) There you go. There you go. So all three have um, not only a passion for for adoption, but have, you know, considerable amount of experience themselves. Now, let's talk a little bit about how each of you um, arrived at these convictions that lead to um, making decisions like this for your families, because it's certainly um, not an easy thing to do. It's not, it's not a, uh, it's far from convenient, and there's a lot of hoops that you have to jump through. But nevertheless, you've each felt at different points as though this is really important for us to do. So walk me through how you came to some of these convictions. Did you, did you find things in the scriptures, or was it something that, you know, I see my friends doing this, and I suddenly became interested in it and found out more and realized that this is something we ought to do? Who wants to start? I don't mind starting. I'll jump in. Um, so for me and Casey, it actually began in 2006. So I went on a trip with Sunnybrook to Ethiopia was kind of the big tipping point for us. I was growing a lot in my faith right then. Um, I would say I was still pretty immature in a lot of areas, but growing. And I I got to visit an orphanage, and that was a moment I just can't unsee. Mm. I think the need there was so big, and it was at a time in my walk with the Lord that I was seeing, like, these things aren't just for super Christians. I think I, I just didn't quite understand what that looked like. And so coming to that thought process and seeing the need at the same time was instrumental in it. Now, it still took us 
another year probably to really start it. Um, but that was the tipping point of like, there's, there's something for our family. I just don't know what it is. And it took a lot of praying and a lot of discernment again, being kind of young in my faith. Okay. Is that the spirit leading this? Or is that me just thinking this, like what's in my emotion and what really is from the Lord. And so it, it just took us a little bit cause we were unsure Yeah, because we didn't know anyone at that point that had done international adoption. We had a million questions that we didn't know how to answer. Um, and everyone was great. You could ask a lot of questions with Jim, I think was someone we talked to a lot at that time, but I mean, we just didn't know anyone. Yeah. So now did Casey go with you on that trip in, 20, in 2006? That's what made it so much fun. Cause he's <laughs> going, what is happening? I was going to ask how, how, um, because obviously at some point, what, what, what year did you guys get David? We brought him home in 2009. Okay. So three years later. Yes. Um, and obviously he, he knows and loves David by that point. Yes. He's, he's on board, but what is it like coming back with these convictions and trying to talk to oh, the great it Casey was, Butler? Yes. About this? So here's how our conversation went. <laughs> Oh, we sat on a couch. I said, honey, I'm going to say something that sounds very crazy out loud. And here's what I'm going to need you to do, if you don't mind, <laughs> is to not respond right away. But to just sit with it and kind of think about it, pray about it. And then let's, when you're ready, let's talk about it again. Because I think if I just, if he just answered, be like, no, they we're not doing that. Um, <laughs> so, so it was, I mean, it's the Spirit's work in that. I just asked him because it was something I felt very passionate about and I really felt the Lord was leading in that. But if Casey wasn't on board, that doesn't make any sense. That can't be for our family. Sure. So Casey had to be on board with that. So I just asked that he not respond right away <laughs> and just pray. That's fun. So Ashley, um, what years did you bring home um, um, Grace and Deacon? 2009. I actually tag on to Randy's story a little bit. And then Deacon was 2012. Okay. So here, did, did um, your convictions come from a similar experience with Randy or were they separate and then the plans kind of converged? It was because Randy started her adoption process, we did blogs back then and mm. blogs were big. And so she had a blog and on the side of your blog, you had all these other adoption blogs of so I would go to Randy's blog, read hers, and then I would click on all the other ones. And so God really used that to open my eyes to, oh, wow, there, there are kids out there that um, need homes. And 2008 was kind of a big shift. Um, early in 2008, big shift in my family's life as well. We saw some things that we hadn't seen before and started to live differently, started to live for the kingdom, um, did different things with our money and our time. And so that was... Um, the biggest thing, but so during the summer of 2000 and yes, eight, um, I just, I mean, it was like a physical burning in my like heart and it was the weirdest thing ever. And I tried to not recognize it. I tried to not, um, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's health. I don't know what it is. But until I talked to my husband at the time that I had this feeling, it didn't go away. But so I started the conversation of adoption and, hey, what would it look like for us to be able to do this? And again, took time, don't answer, just think about it and let's see. And so when we decide, when we came back and said, okay, this is something we want to do, mm -hmm. uh, but I couldn't not do anything once I started seeing all the different sure. things. Yeah. That's interesting. Now, Amanda, you guys went the domestic adoption route. We did. We so, got it from Missouri. So you guys, so we, we have Africa, and then yet there are children in Missouri who need parents as well. So mm -hmm. walk us through kind of yours and Kyle's process going through all of that. I would say um, mine kind of has a missional or missionary kind of tie to it. Cause I started doing missions um, when I got out of college, and 
went and kind of had some exposure of kids in needs in vulnerable situations before Kyle. Um, and that's where I think the seed was planted for me. It just kind of didn't go away. It wasn't sure what this is, but, um, and then got involved at Casa de Paz in Mexico, one of our partners through 146. And, um, and then Kyle and I, we had tried, uh, for bio kids and it just wasn't in our path. And, uh, we'd had conversations like what adoption could look like in our family, but, um, really wanted to try for ourselves first and see what it could look like for us to get pregnant. And, um, that's, I mean, a transformation in itself, like to go through um, some of those conversations with your spouse and the vulnerability that kind of mm-hmm. starts to shape, um, kind of hit a different phase. And um, there was just God behind it every step of the way. And he, uh, he really showed us both like the need beyond ourselves, uh, beyond just wanting to become a parent. And so we <laughs> got on Facebook because uh, that's kind of what we were advised by a few people outside of finding someone locally that might need to give their kid up for adoption. Um, give up their kid. That's place their kid for adoption is so much better to say. But um, we went the Facebook route, put our name out there, put our story out there, and um, found several moms in need. It was overwhelming, uh, the global response of people using Facebook Mm -hmm. to find a place for their children to be placed. Um, And so we found um, our birth mom in Missouri. She was 28 weeks pregnant at the time and uh, her and her boyfriend thought they were gonna be able to raise this little girl in addition to um, her other one and have kind of the family dynamic and things didn't end well for them. And so she found our profile and we drove to Missouri ate at Cheddar's and she was sold. <laughs> so she, uh, she said she just, she felt like there was comfort and, and a good home for, for where she would be placed. And it was also very telling that we had other adoptive kids in our family. I mean, not only David, um, but we have uh, a brother in St. Louis that has, is, was going through some of those conversations. And so it was just really comforting for her to hear like, Jolie's not going to be this exception or Mm -hmm. just this one thing in your family like that's kind of more of your DNA Um, and there's something that I don't know it was just really nice and affirming that the Lord put in our hearts that this is what we're supposed to be doing outside of just trying to become a family but there's care and there's a need and some of the conversations we had with all the other moms prior to the one that we committed to um, a lot of kingdom conversations came out of it that we didn't expect and so it kind of turned into our little like family ministry of people that we just needed to be having conversations about the gospel with and they were very small but yeah. for them to see the love of Jesus even for a month yeah was really and I, and I like that you take it that direction too because you know it's one thing um for Kyle and Amanda to be at the point in their lives where they're ready to just start having children. There's like yeah. the family side of that. But then there's the, the kingdom side of it where um, maybe you begin with this family um, agenda or kind of the, the motivation being we want to start having kids. And then you see that it's actually a lot deeper than that. Yeah. And it, it goes, it pushes into your Christian convictions. Mm-hmm. And I think that it, it, 
obviously, I know knowing you two, it goes beyond the fact that I saw people in um, in Africa that in Ethiopia that were in uh, in a position of, of hardship and their their lives are not what they should be. There's a there's a human side of that where mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, you you put a mom. <laughs> or a mom to be in that situation, and she's just—I mean, a- anyone can break quickly. Yeah. But what is it about your faith in Jesus and like your reading of the scriptures that maybe deepened or emboldened those convictions that this is more than just—you know—we have we have Kaylee, we have Canaan, but this is also we think we need to do something in addition to this. Mm-hmm. How did you guys think through it in the like the biblical way? Mm-hmm. Well, you're looking at me, so yeah, I will I'm looking, start. Randy, how yes. did you think of it in the yeah. biblical way? <laughs> um, I mean, I think it. I think there are a lot of great people that can do a lot of great things for orphan care. I think they are. But I think the Christian perspective is very different, obviously, in the purpose of it. I think it is to bring glory to the Lord. I think it is to take those into a family and to point them to Jesus. Like, mm. that's the eternal hope, the kingdom and so we're offering something more than just your home for a temporary time. Right. Like it is an eternal perspective that you're trying to point them to and let them be a part of. Like it's a Christian body, a family that goes beyond your blood. Yeah. Like yeah. it's it's a, it's kind of has an evangelistic Yes, it's, it's te- an evangelism purposeful and it's not like until you're 18 and then you're gone. Like it really is a lifelong pursuit mm. of Jesus. Like that's the only thing that's going to last. And so I want I want to point all of our kids to that. But when you're bringing someone in new that doesn't have that perspective, how yeah, different yeah. that is. Um, and I would say even combining, for me, Deuteronomy 6 and Matthew 28, like the family discipleship that we see mm-hmm. in Deuteronomy and the Great Commission of Matthew. You like literally went to the nations. Yes, the yeah. nations. Um, and seeing it how it plays out in Revelation 21 and 22, like the end of time where all yeah. the nations come, how beautiful that is and how incredible it would be for our churches to have that like this all nations coming and gathering and worshiping. And I think you do that at times with families. Oh, and, you know, I don't know. It's not that there was no adoptions happening in the Sunnybrook community until Randy and Casey paved the way. But there has been, um, I don't know if I would call it an explosion, but I could rattle off so many families that have done this or as we'll take on in uh, in a uh, subsequent episode, um, have entered into the foster system to, mm-hmm. and, and it's amazing how in this place on Sundays or Wednesdays you can just see so many parents caring for and pouring into um, children the the gospel that they so desperately need that mm-hmm. are not their biological kids, mm-hmm. and it's this it is this revelation picture yeah. of all the nations coming together. Ashley, anything to add to kind of the the convictions that were behind it? Yeah, I would say that uh, my biggest thing was. Jesus talked about Matthew 22, love thy neighbor. You know, what's the greatest commandment? The Pharisees asked him. It was love thy neighbor. And so as I've studied that, the neighbor was your family. And then it was the people in your community. And then it was the, you know, the people in the world. So Jesus said to love one another. And so what did that look like for me? Mm -hmm. Um, It was different. Adoption was never, ever, ever on my radar. So it was kind of like, okay, okay, I'll do this. But it was God loves me so much that he is adopting me into his family. So it is my duty to love the neighbor in that way 
that I can. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's awesome. That is awesome. Now, many of you will know about the fact that we do have a ministry that, that assists with this world um, here at Sunnybrook, but some of you may be new, or some of you may not actually be a part of the Sunnybrook family, and, uh, and it might be news to you that we have a ministry called 146. So who wants to tell me, um, one, why did we call it a number, and then uh, <laughs> two, how did it start, how did things get off the ground? Ashley, they're pointing at you, so... <laughs> Walk us through, what is 146? Yeah, well, Randy and I, at uh, when we were doing our adoption journeys, we were like, okay, we're waiting for our kids. They're going to take a long time. How can we help orphans now? Mm-hmm. And so we started meeting, and we're like, okay. Through the blogs, we were able to have contacts of people that we could raise money for, we could gather items for. I remember we did a big Crocs um, gathering of the church, and I think we had like 200 pairs of Crocs that we sent off. And so we just were like, okay, we needed something now um, in the waiting. And so we called it 146, because at that time there were 146 million orphans, Mm -hmm. give or take. And so we chose 146 to just kind of give it a number that was easy to remember. Yeah, it is catchy. Yeah. Um, So... That's been some time. We're when we were talking, 2008 is when we were doing our adoption journey. So I think Mm -hmm. we started the talks in -hmm. the fall of eight, Mm -hmm. and maybe we started actually doing things in early nine. So Mm -hmm. 11 years in, what is 146 up to today? By the way, Randy is branded. She is. She is selling it with her T-shirt here. (laughs) So 11 years in, what does 146 look like today? I'm going to let them take it. I actually had to step off, so, and these ladies are in charge. Yes, Amanda is our fearless leader right now. Yes. Yes, but it has shifted a lot in the last few years, really. um, I would say we began, it it was a lot of adoption, and it was bringing a lot of awareness, um, just talking about it more and more, and there were a lot more families that were interested in it, but again, you just didn't have a context to ask questions in, and so I think in the early stages, it was just answering questions and walking through what it really look like and what was the day-to-day and the waiting process and what do you do with the waiting and how do you pray through this how do you talk to your husband if you're the one that feels something but he maybe doesn't um and so that it was that awareness in the beginning and then it just kind of kept growing i mean i would say the lord just kept expanding what that could look like we partnered with casa de paz which Mm -hmm. is an orphanage down in mexico and the lord brought that together very quickly um from a sunnybrook trip that was there just getting in contact with the the director there that had some great needs and we've continued that partnership since then but mm-hmm. that was in that was 2008 also i think yeah, roughly maybe. that was the first mm-hmm. year i went to mexico and yes. i do remember going to the orphanage yes mm-hmm. so we've done that and now it just it's blossoming more to mm-hmm. what does it look like to care for foster families mm-hmm. what does it look like to bring foster kids in and so our shirt uh, that I'm wearing, kind of the four categories we want to kind of promote is either adoption, foster, sponsorship, so Compassion International, and then just supporting. So being mm-hmm. a support to those families that are adopting, are doing foster care. Uh, I was given a cheat sheet oh, by the cheat sheet. Amanda. Amanda is not only graphically gifted, she's apparently very organized. And Amen. it says here that Such a gift. you can consider um, 146 to be kind of enveloped in the acronym RAP, W-R-A-P. So there is wrestling in prayer, there is offering respite care, there are acts of service, and there are um, leaning into the promises of God. Amanda, is there anything that you would like people to know about 146, um, both in its kind of, um, its, its state today, or ways that people could get involved should they find this to be something that, you know, God called all of you differently um, if this is something that kind of pricks the heart for somebody here at Sunnybrook 
And do they just call Amanda Butler and say, hey, how can I help? Sure. What are, what are some ways that we can be involved? Or do, are there any needs? That, that's another thing that we could talk about. All good questions. Um, they all have some explanation to them because I do, I think sometimes the misconception is not everyone should have a role in a situation like this or a ministry like this. And I would like more than anything for people to walk away knowing like there's probably something for everyone. Like the mm. Lord has just gifted a lot of us in different ways that apply. And um, so, yes, the easiest thing to just say, hey, what can I do? Um, which is kind of the church MO anyways. Yeah. How can I serve? What can I do to help? Or who needs something? Um, and so, as Randy has said, we've kind of blossomed into lots of categories. Um, but most people um, are quick to give financially. Um, there's always going to be something that we can do with money, mm -hmm. um, specifically internationally, because we're not there locally, boots on the ground. So we're there in spirit in a lot of ways and then helping from afar. Um, but locally, I mean, Stillwater has, Paint County specifically, has just had a lot of different things come our way. Uh, Meadows of Hope is um, a big partner of ours right now. They do a lot of foster care and facilitate homes for foster families and kind of partner with DHS in that area as well. And so we've been able to connect with them providing meals or sending volunteers to some of their, uh, they do like a once a month support class kind of group with their foster families. And so you can be a physical being in that place and go serve in different ways. Um, you can cook and provide meals. We just recently started collecting meals, freezer meals and meals kits to hand off to not just Sunnybrook families, but other people that we come in contact with. And, um, and then the Lord has kind of pushed another partner our way, 111 Project, uh, is kind of known nationwide a little bit, but they are on a mission to make sure that there aren't orphans mm -hmm. in the States and that the church can be a huge impact on that. If we all had somebody doing foster care within our churches, that the likelihood of there being a child without a home is very yeah. small. And so they have created a platform called Care Portal, which we've been learning more about this year. Um, but that's another area where you're actually providing a need, whether it's a tangible one or um, another type of support that is here in our community within Payne County foster families outside of Sunnybrook. And so whether that's a car seat or financially helping them get rid of bed bugs, we had a family that had a huge burden of bed bugs and paying thousands of dollars to get that cleaned out of your house. Yep with foster children in COVID times was super daunting. <laughs> and so who better than the church to come wrap around that family and not just provide a, a financial assistance, but this is relational. Like, again, this goes back to pointing them to Jesus. And this is why we're motivated right. to do that. This isn't because we want to just be throwing money left and right, but there is a calling. And so I think whether you are gifted and being patient and kind with people in real time, or you are financially blessed to support. Mm -hmm. um, we had somebody who was legally gifted, who was willing to give legal counsel to those who yeah. were needing advice. I mean, we were part of that recipient. Um, so I just, I don't know. I think that there's no one specific need that we would probably not need, but those are some of the big ones right now, yeah. especially in the trauma world. Like, because we're having more kids come here, um, being a part of our church family, 
they have just different needs and we need to be a part of that. We need to be helping cultivate some of that behavior within our volunteers. So that's going to be exciting to see how. If you are interested in any of that, her email is abutler at sunnybrookcc.org. But quite frankly, you could reach out to any of these women. And Mm -hmm. even though Ashley has retired from 146, apparently. She's coming back soon. (laughs) I I really think she is. She's a resident at Sunnybrook, (laughs) and she is a godly woman. So for all of those reasons, you can reach out to her as well. (laughs) And uh, I I know that they would love to sit down and talk with you about ways that you can um, partner in this area. Um. So kind of the next thing that we wanted to, to walk through was, is this a recent phenomena? Rich, mm-hmm. there's, you can go and find all sorts of art, articles that are both for and critical of what's known as the recent Christian adoption movements, which would be probably, um, the, I looked at some of the, the ranges that they put on that. I mean, the, the most consistent one is probably the last 50 years, there's been an uptick in Christians adopting, especially internationally. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of the criticism against it is it seems like, you know, Christian imperialism um, by, which is like, <laughs> I want David here because I love David, but I also want David to love Jesus. Mm-hmm. And uh, we would obviously be very in favor of that. But what I think is helpful for us to see is that even that idea that one reason to take in a, a child that has no parents is that they need to have a place to hear the gospel. Mm-hmm. That is super old. And so um, one of the things that I wanted to just briefly discuss is how rich the tradition of Christians caring for orphans actually is. Mm. Um, so I'm not asking questions now. Now I'm just monologuing. <laughs> um, and I'm gonna, I've, I've told them I can keep it brief. I, I, I sent out like kind of like the categories I could think that, that ought to be talked through, and I told them, hey, I can make this podcast, my section of it, five minutes or five hours. They chose the, the previous. So um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just go through this quickly. And I have, by the way, I have so much more information on this. So if you find the, like, the historical look at adoption, with Christians interesting, I will bore you to tears over many cups of coffee. But I'm going to make this quick. <laughs> um, first of all, it is assumed in the New Testament that mm-hmm. this is something that's important. In James 1, um, Jesus' brother says, Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Mm-hmm. So he, he, And really what he's doing is he's fleshing out this overarching New Testament, uh, really overarching biblical idea that the people of God are supposed to be the first ones to step up and care for those who need help mm-hmm. and care for those who cannot care for themselves or care for the disenfranchised, um, for those who have been wounded by the rest of the world. And um, so it, it goes back to even like the Good Samaritan, like who is my neighbor? That, that parable really asks us to consider um, there's, there's more than to Ryan and his need to uh, extend compassion and care than just my three biological children. Um, you know, Rachel and I have talked about that at some point we would like to even consider the adoption process for ourselves. doesn't mean, by the way, doesn't mean that if you do not adopt a child that you are somehow inferior to them. We're all probably inferior to them for other reasons. Um, but it does mean that as Christians, I believe that this is something that we have to care about and we have to at least put some sort of effort toward and resources toward. So that's kind of where James starts. The New Testament assumes orphans will be cared for 
in a special way by those who follow God. Now, let me tell you what orphans, what their lives were like in the ancient world. Um, in the, in, in like the Greco-Roman world, the orphans would have been the most vulnerable people in society. That might even still technically be true. Mm. Um, they had no protections, no rights. They didn't have state agencies that cared for them. Mm. There was no safety net. Um, infanticide was very, very common. So um, children could be born and, and not wanted for so many um, reasons. They, would, they were abandoned. They were literally... Um, left outside, it's called exposure, left outside to die for reasons such as being too small, being too ugly, being having like a, a physical deformity. That's a, that's a reason that people would uh, leave their children out to die. For being the wrong gender, uh, especially according to the father, for being sick when born, or any other sort of physical ailment. And uh, most kids would be left outside and they would, um, they would die of hypothermia mm. as, a, as a newborn baby. Um, sometimes they would bury them alive in like mm. heaps of manure. Um, they'd leave them out to be eaten by wild animals and, or they'd be sacrificed in some sort of religious ritual. Um, if a child was really lucky and was born to parents that did not want the child, they could be sold off as a future slave or prostitute. And mm. so... Being an orphan in the ancient world is, is precarious, to say the least. Yeah. Um, but the earliest Christians said, this cannot be. This cannot be the case. There was a, a man named Callistus, and he, um, he lived out his, uh, his fidelity to Jesus, his faithfulness to Christ. Um, he grew up a slave, became a Christian, and then he organized what was a group known as, um, or these events known as life watches. And basically they would station Christians in areas where it was common to abandon children so that when they were abandoned, the Christians would snatch them up mm. and go care for them. And, um, and so you have these Christian families that are adopting children. Amazing. They're waiting out by the, the, the trash heaps where they know people leave their kids to, to go get them and raise them. Um, bishop, there, uh, sometime in the middle of the 4th century, 5th uh, century actually, no, 4th century, Basil of Caesarea, who eventually became known as Basil the Great, he um, convinced, so Constantine was the famous Christ, first Christian emperor. He made it um, socially unacceptable to abandon children. But Basil was the bishop who got into the, in the next emperor, another emperor, Valentinian's ear, and got him to make it illegal, punishable by crime, mm -hmm. punishable by law, that we could no longer just leave children out to die. So um, you have a lot of like the early Christian response to this problem coming from their convictions, I believe, that life is sacred and these children, even if it's got a deformed arm or for whatever reason, or if it's mm -hmm. a girl and you needed a, boy, a male heir, she is made in the image of God, and she, is, she has dignity, and we will in inconvenience ourselves to care for her. Mm -hmm. And then the church started to gain this reputation, which was beautiful. Mm -hmm. um, this is a, 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 from a guy named Aristides. He said, talking about Christians, falsehood is not found among them. He's like, they never tell lies, and they love one another. And from widows, they do not turn away their esteem, and they deliver the orphan from him who treats him harshly. And he who has gives to him who has not without boasting. And when they see a stranger, 
take them into their homes and rejoice over him as a very brother that loved their neighbors. Mm. And it's just this beautiful, even the, the unbelieving world realizes that these Christians are just different when it comes to those in society who cannot care for themselves. Mm-hmm. In the early church fathers, they started to write about how important this was. Mm. Um, so this is actually um, a, a really cool book written by David Noel. It's called Dirty Faith. Bringing the Love of Christ to the Least of These, which is a really cool book and probably a resource we ought to have on hand. Um, He says, In the growing Christian movement, the church fathers consistently and conspicuously called upon followers of Christ to be faithful to Scripture's demand that we care for the orphan. Virtually every early writing on Christian conduct stressed the importance of caring for children without parents. Mm-hmm. Eusebius, the Apostolic Constitutions, Lactantius, Ignatius, Polycarp, Justin Martyr, Justin Martyr, the list goes on and on. Every one of them called on the early church to care for orphans. One writer goes so far as to say that the orphan had only three possibilities in life, death, slavery, or Christian adoption. And so I, he kind of sums up the early church fathers. But um, Ignatius of Antioch, he was another bishop. He says, To consider those who are of a different opinion with respect to the grace of Christ which has come to us, how opposed they are to the will of God. So he's looking at kind of pagan society. He says, They have no regard for love, no care for the widow or the orphan or the oppressed, of the bond or of the free, or of the hungry or of the thirsty. He's basically criticizing Roman society. Um, I mean, he, was, he would be in Antioch, but he's criticizing the Greco-Roman world for not loving people, and, and he involves in that the orphan. Even Polycarp, um, a famous bishop of Smyrna, who's actually a disciple of the Apostle John, he says that um, in terms of the presbyters, so think elders, he says that these, have, these men have to, if you want to lead a church, you have to be compassionate and merciful to all, Bring back those who have wandered or walked away from the faith. You have to visit the sick. Don't neglect the widow, the orphan, or the poor. And always provide for that which is becoming in the sight of God and man. Mm. So he puts as a qualification on church leadership, you must care for those who are in most need. Mm. Um, And then I'll just conclude with this. Um, There's stories of their practice. Um, So not only were they really good about writing about this need, they lived it out. Um, so this is a book. This is a quote from a book by John Aloisi called Orphan Care, Adoption, and the Church. And he said, A third-century document known as the Discalia Apostolorum lays out the criteria for selecting an, a presbyter. So kind of what we were just talking about. One of the requirements in, the, in this list is that the candidate has been known as a father to the orphans. The document goes on to describe a suitable candidate for the bishopric as one who has been a lover of toil, a lover of widows, and a lover of orphans. Hmm. And so this was an incredibly important qualification for leadership. Hmm. In in another book by Gerhard Ulhorn called Christian Charity in the Ancient Church, he says, when we first meet the mention of adoption and bringing up of foundlings, which is just such an old word for a kid you found, um, foundlings, this work appears not as a novelty, but as one long practice. So what we're doing here is not a in the most recent 50 years phenomena. It is a long practice. It is true that the heathen also used to take care of exposed children. So he's not saying no one else cared for these people, but for the purposes of bringing them up as gladiators and prostitutes or to use them in their own service. Christians, on the other hand, brought up the children whom they thought or whom they took charge for the Lord and for a respectable and industrious life. 
And then back up to David Noel, he kind of summarizes everything. He says, orphan care is part of the church's identity and has been for 2,000 years. Mm-hmm. So we have this long, long-running history of, that says the, the way that you, your families have elected to live out your faith in this area is in lockstep with the scriptures and with the practices of the early church. Okay, just say thank you, I mean, for doing that research. We asked you to moderate for that specific question (laughs) right there. Um, Because I think we knew that those, it existed. We just didn't really know where to go to find that. And I think I'm just so amazed that at the time when we started our adoption, I wouldn't have known any of those things, that this is a church practice of any kind. It really was a spirit leading, Mm. because it's the same spirit that's been leading his people the whole time. And I love his faithfulness in that and how he's just grown our understanding in that, the Imago Dei yeah. kind well, of worship. If you, if you think about um, the church gained this reputation to such a degree that it became custom for a long, long time that if uh, if Randy and Casey decide that they cannot have the baby that she has just given birth to, they would drop it off on the church doorstep. Mm-hmm. That, was the long, that was the custom for a long time. We know these people, these monks, these... Uh, these uh, nuns, these people that, that, that love God and live in his service will take care of this child. That's how you see it in the movies, right? That's how, yeah, you still see it in the movies. And then for some reason it transitioned to the fire station. I don't know what happened, but um, <laughs> it, it, yeah, it's pretty cool pedigree that the, the people of God have in this area. Well, um, maybe in conclusion, what are some ways that uh, churches in Stillwater can... Um, support the the agencies, the organizations that are already working. So DHS and other um, agencies like them um, that are dealing with this maybe at the, the state or the federal level or the local government level. What are ways that we as we don't have to wait for someone to drop some, a baby off on the doorstep. We can do we can do something to help now. Right. Any ideas? Mm-hmm. I hope. <laughs> I mean, I think a care porter is going to be a step in that yeah. for sure. Okay. I mean, that is that is churches coming together to partner with DHS. So how does someone get connected to care portal? They can contact us. I mean, that's really been the direct line is the church responsibility. And so we're facilitating that yes. system on an internal basis. So basically, I think what, what Amanda and Randy need is for them, they need to know that you are interested and willing to be on the list of those that help. And that yeah. doesn't guarantee that you have to buy the next car seat that is needed. But it does mean that you're now um, in, their, in their group of people that they will reach out to when the needs come to their computers. Because they are, you guys are the administrators for that, right? Yep. For us? Yep. You are? Okay. Yeah. So um, all they need is to know that you're interested and then we can have a discussion from there. Yeah. yeah. And it's been really cool to, I think, with like the adult ministry partnership, like to us, go through life groups like that is such a natural flow for this um for people who are already gathering to come in collectively and participate and serve that way and so i i know over time i mean really this partnership just is so fresh but hopefully um it'll be more in front of us beyond just like hey i can help and then we give it directly to you but i think our hope is eventually that there's a little bit more awareness um, that we can push out as needs happen 
on a larger scale. But yeah, if you are ready to be on the front lines with us, we're happy to send you as many notifications as you would like to receive. <laughs> and that could be a really cool thing to take on as a as a life group. So life group yeah. leaders, if you're out there, if you want some more information, um, I know we have uh, pamphlets with, you know, the kind of their, their basic statistics and all that stuff mm -hmm. that can just help us, you know, go pitch the idea to our members and say, is this something that we would like to do? Because it's one thing for, um, for Randy to call you and say, hey, we need a crib for this baby that's about to be born. Um, can you fork over a couple hundred bucks to do it? It's another thing for you to say, hey, we need a crib for this baby that's about to be born. Can every member of your life group, you know, contribute to that? And mm -hmm. all of a sudden we get, we get needs taken care of like that. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's caring for the least of these. Well, mm -hmm. and mind you still, like there's another avenue that might come with that. Is you going to help drop off something or partner with that foster parent or that parent that's trying to have unification, reunification with their child? I mean, who better? Yes. Who better to be caring for them than the people within the church and for you to end up having more conversations with that person? I'm not saying that happens every time, but... I think we've had some single dad scenarios too, where it's like, yeah, you could go provide a coat for his toddler. Would you want to go take him shopping? Like if he's willing, would you want to go help him pick out a coat and like do it together versus just the drop off? Like there's just so many layers that yeah. this could take shape on. The the care portal, um, it, it comes in tiers of involvement. And so it can be as easy as paying for something and then it gets more relationally involved from there. And they will be able to explain all of that to you should you. In our next podcast, we'll have more of those practical. We'll have Casa will be there, Care Portal will be there, and then Meadows of Hope. So some different things in the community, since you're asking community-specific. But I would say even within our church, I think one of their big needs is just getting trauma-informed. Mm -hmm. And we're figuring out ways to make that available, um, especially as we have more and more kids in kids' ministry and on up. Yeah. What does that look like to care for kids that have a lot more needs than maybe biological kids are going to have and right. how to love them well. So in our community, if that's something that you are passionate about, reach out to us. That's awesome. Well, I, uh, I appreciate both your expertise and your passion and your willingness to come and talk about this. And probably more than anything, I appreciate your faithfulness to the gospel. And I appreciate that you have kids that are now a result of that, both uh, biological children, but then new adopted children. If you have any questions about this, reach out to them um, individually, or um, you can always email steve at sunnybrookcc.org if you want to talk about this particular podcast episode further or have suggestions for additional episodes in the future. We will see you next time. Bye.